Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today. We thank our sponsor, Summit Therapeutics, for making this special series possible. Summit Therapeutics is a leader in antibiotic innovation and has a clear strategy through new science and philosophy. They are creating new opportunities to become the standard of care for serious infectious diseases. To learn more, please visit their website, www.summitplc.com. This series consists of the keynote speakers from the 8th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo. We hope you will enjoy today's show. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Barbara McGovern. Uh, Dr. McGovern is the VP of Medical Affairs for Series Therapeutics. Prior to her current position, she was at Tufts Medical Center and an associate editor of clinical infectious disease and deputy editor for Up to Date. Barbara, uh, looking forward to your talk. Thank you so much. And thank you also to the conference co-chairs, Dr. Johnson and Dr. Feuerstadt, for inviting me to speak with you today. I also want to thank the patients who spoke about the severe toll this infection places on patients and their families. As a former infectious disease physician, I have personally witnessed the ravages of C. diff, and I want to thank Dale Skelly and Alba Mofeld for giving us face to the devastating nature of this disease. Finally, I want to thank Nancy Corrala, who's a source of inspiration to all of us in her advocacy on behalf of patients around the world. As you know, since the discovery of C. difficile in 1978 by Bartlett and Gorbach, sustained clinical response rates remain suboptimal. Only modest improvements in efficacy have been achieved with one main target, that of C. diff toxin, whether it's related to antibiotics to shut down toxin-producing bacteria or monoclonal antibodies to bind toxin. Several trials of agents have failed, including telebomer, a toxin-binding resin, and serotomycin, another targeted antibiotic. So in 2020, we are left with few agents in our armamentarium and a large pool of patients in need of retreatment. But retreatment options are even more limited and and less effective in recurrent disease. In fact, the best predictor of future recurrence is the history of recurrence, as demonstrated in the large, well-designed bezlotuximab trials with rates up to 50% with recycled antibiotics alone. Focusing solely on C. diff toxin ignores a basic principle. C. diff infection is a two-hit process characterized by disruption of the microbiome by broad-spectrum antibiotics and exposure to the spores of C. diff. In fact, C. diff infection can be thought of as a canary in the mine, signaling the presence of microbiome disruption and the need for microbiome repair. So why do our current therapies fail? Well, they don't address microbiome disruption, nor do they address the two-phase life cycle of C. diff. When the microbiome is disrupted, C. diff spores germinate into toxin-producing bacteria that lead to disease. 
Antibiotics are very effective in killing the vegetative bacteria that produce toxins. So as toxin concentrations rapidly decline, the patient's symptoms improve. And the physician feels better, too, due to the false reassurance that infection has resolved. However, antibiotics have no impact on the metabolically inactive spores, which serve as a reservoir for this vicious cycle of recurrent infection. In fact, as an infectious disease physician, I think of this cycle as representing recurrent symptoms rather than recurrent infection because the microbiome remains disrupted and the infection was never eradicated. That is why C. diff requires a two-pronged treatment approach to achieve a sustained clinical resolution. We have learned a lot about microbiome repair from studies of FMT. But we have also learned a lot about safety risks as well, as Dr. Connor had alluded to. Over the next several slides, I will address microbiome recovery and efficacy and safety of FMT and investigational FMT drug products. One of the most important learnings from FMT studies is that microbiome recovery is key to achieving a sustained clinical response. Within days, we see spore-forming firmicute bacteria are gained and pro-inflammatory proteobacteria are lost. Changes in other major phyla, such as the bacteroidetes, are usually not observed until 30 to 60 days later. The timing of these changes suggests that firmicutes are the key driver to clinical outcomes, since recurrence of C. diff often occurs rapidly after antibiotic completion. One of the main reasons that firmicutes are critical to C. diff outcomes is that they are key to the metabolism of bile acids, as Dr. Feuerstadt had spoken about. Specifically, primary bile acids lead to C. diff spore germination, while secondary bile acids inhibit germination. 7-alpha dehydroxylation of primary to secondary bile acids is the most physiologically significant conversion of bile acids in humans, with deoxycholic acid accounting for up to 25% of the total bile acid pool. However, the key microbes associated with these metabolic pathways are phylogenetically constrained. The known species which possess this enzymatic activity are limited to members of the firmicute phylum. As CDI expert Herbert DuPont has noted in his careful analyses of FMT studies he's done, spore-forming bacteria appear to be the most important engrafting organisms in FMT. Now, relative to efficacy, we have also learned a lot. FMT received only a moderate quality evidence rating by the IDSA shape panel guidelines for C. diff. The panel pointed out the relative paucity of placebo-controlled trials and noted that FMT efficacy was lower in these few randomized trials than in many non-randomized uh, studies, as noted by Kana and colleagues. The panel also noted several factors that may influence FMT outcomes, such as the proximity of FMT treatment to the last CDI recurrence, which in some trials has been quite distant. 
or use of long-term suppressive antibiotics before study entry, which may artificially inflate efficacy results. And patient selection factors, specifically diagnostic testing. More on that a little bit later. Recently, we have seen more randomized placebo-controlled trials with the advancement of investigational FMC drug products, which is good news for patients. I'm showing the phase two results here for CP101, the lyophilized product from Finch, and the phase two results for the rebiotic cinema, uh, RBX2660, which Dr. Kana highlighted earlier. We are all looking forward to the results of the phase three trial. Efficacy of these investigational FMT drug products have ranged from 67 to 75% in these placebo-controlled trials. In both studies, a mixed approach to diagnostic testing at study entry and at recurrence was applied. This is important since the selection of the diagnostic assay for your clinical trial will impact your study population. A positive toxin test strongly correlates with active disease and is recommended by the IDSA as the ideal test for suspected recurrence. PCR, as you've heard, cannot differentiate colonization from infection, leading to overdiagnosis. And as we also heard recently, spores are excreted for months after clinical resolution, which can lead to a positive PCR test, particularly if you're unlucky enough to develop post-infectious IBS after C. diff infection, which is seen in about a quarter of patients. Due to these important considerations, we concluded that the EcoSport 3 trial would require toxin testing at study entry and recurrence. Finally, a major concern for FMT and investigational drug products are that they're vulnerable to emerging infections. Multiple FDA safety alerts have been issued over the past year about transmission of drug-resistant bacteria, published in Noonan Journal, and sugar toxin-producing bacteria in another report, as highlighted by Dr. Connor. Concerns have also been noted about potential transmission of SARS-CoV-2, which is excreted in stool for days after respiratory shedding has resolved. As Marty Blazer noted in a new NM journal, FMT brings predictable risks and unintended consequences. We clearly need a more focused, efficacious, and safe approach to microbiome repair. At Series Therapeutics, we are using our knowledge of microbiome sciences to increase efficacy while mitigating risk. Which brings me to SEER 109, an investigational, biologically derived, spore-based microbiome therapeutic designed to break the cycle of recurrence. We have strong scientific rationale since in animal models, firmicutes are as effective as FMT at a vastly lower dose. Firmicutes restore microbe-associated functions that prevent recurrence. We also have a multifaceted safety profile with all three uh, phase studies from one, two, and three showing favorable tolerability, and furthermore, spore purification mitigates the risk of transmission of emergent pathogens. Since spores are resistant to gastric acid, that facilitates oral delivery, and we were granted breakthrough therapy and orphan drug status by FDA. 
Finally, we have shown that engraftment of C109 species leads to broad compositional and functional changes in the microbiome that are relevant to disease pathways. Now, I want to spend a bit of time to talk about our manufacturing and quality systems for 109, which are state-of-the-art. We have focused on delivering the essential microbial components that facilitate potency. And you may ask, why purified firmicute spores? Well, I earlier spoke about the key role of these firmicutes in the metabolism of bile acids that inhibit spore germination of C. diff. Firmicute spores are also resistant to gastric acid, facilitating oral delivery, and the spores have exceptional stability, allowing room temperature storage. The final drug product is comprised of the essential components needed for a clinical response, which I will show you shortly in Ecospore 3. And they're comprised of less than 0.5% of whole stool. Now, when you concentrate on delivering only the essential microbial components, you can also mitigate risk. A comprehensive donor screening program is essential, but it has limitations due to emerging pathogens that can be missed. However, our manufacturing process steps inactivate and eliminate pathogenic bacteria, pa parasites, fungi, and viruses. We deliver a drug product with consistently high purity by minimizing fecal solids, inflammatory components, and residual impurities. In addition, we employ rigorous product testing for potency and purity to further ensure drug product quality and no detectable bio-burden. Our philosophy is that a combination of extensive, thoughtful donor screening and rigorous manufacturing processes represents a necessary redundancy to mitigate risk to our patients. So now for the top line results. Our study population were comprised of uh, adults with a qualifying episode of C. diff as defined by three or more unformed stools per day for two consecutive days, plus a positive C. diff stool assay, toxin assay, and a symptomatic response to antibiotics. And other criteria included three or more episodes of C. diff within the prior 12 months, inclusive, inclusive of the current episodes. So you can see we had very strict criteria for this trial. And here is the study design. In this double-blind placebo-controlled trial, 281 adults with a history of RCDI were screened and 182 toxin-positive patients with symptomatic resolution on antibiotics for only 10 to 21 days were randomized after a bowel cleanse to either CIR-109 or placebo administered as four capsules daily for three days. The primary endpoint was recurrence through week eight, and safety was followed through 24 weeks. All subjects had acute infection. No use of chronic suppressive antibiotics was allowed, as has been done in other trials. Toxin testing was required at entry and suspected recurrence. Now, as you can see in the ITT population, more than half were greater than 65 years of age. About 60% were female, and about three-quarters of the population were taking vancomycin. 
60% met the minimum criteria of a history of two prior episodes of C. diff, which meant that they were entering with their third active infection. Thus, 40% have a history of even more episodes, which speaks to the great unmet need. And now for the top line results. Tier 109 achieved the primary endpoint in the overall population with a significant reduction of CDI recurrence rates down from 41.3% in the placebo arm down to 11.1% in the SEER 109 treatment arm for an absolute reduction of 30.2%, a risk reduction of 0.27, and a very significant p-value of less than 0.001. The relative risk reduction was 73%. The study results are equally compelling when characterized by the alternative metric of sustained clinical response, where 88.9% of patients in the SEER 109 arm achieved this objective. In a pre-planned analysis, SEER 109 was also led to significantly higher efficacy at week eight versus placebo when stratified by age. As you can see here, the relative risk was low in both age groups. Similarly, in an analysis stratified by antibiotic received prior to dosing, SEER 109 was associated with significantly greater efficacy than placebo, whether you received vancomycin or fidaxomycin. Please note that many more patients received vancomycin than fidaxomycin at 133 subjects versus 49 subjects, respectively. In a pre-planned analysis, we also looked at efficacy at 12 weeks and continued to see a significant absolute difference between SEER 109 and placebo that held steady at 31.1%. Finally, SEER 109 had a favorable safety profile as you can see here by the summary of subjects with treatment emergent adverse events, TEAEs, up to week eight. Any TEAE was observed in more than 90% of subjects in both arms, which speaks again to the level of illness that these patients experience. Treatment-related AEs only occurred in two patients on the placebo arm. AEs of special interest occurred in a single patient in each arm, and serious TEAEs occurred in 7.8% of the 109 recipients compared to 16.3% of the placebo recipients. Serious TEAEs, deaths related or possibly related to drug, were not observed within the trial. I also want to point out that there were three deaths in the trial which occurred on the 109 arm, but as noted, none were deemed related to drug by the blinded investigators. So, in conclusion, CDI is a two-hit process that requires a two-pronged treatment approach to reduce recurrence. Antibiotics to kill the toxin-producing bacteria, and microbiome recovery to inhibit spore germination and vegetative growth. Ecospore 3 demonstrated that SEER 109 is highly efficacious in reducing CDI recurrence, validating our spore-based therapeutic approach. 
the favorable safety profile was comparable to placebo, as might be expected since firmicutes normally reside within the healthy microbiome. By enriching for the essential microbial components, SEER 109 achieved high efficacy while mitigating risk of transmitting infectious agents. SEER 109 is an investigational first-in-class oral microbiome therapeutic, is a promising cornerstone in a new treatment paradigm for patients with recurrent C. diff. An open-label trial for first and multiply recurrent patients has been initiated. Requirements to file SEER 109 for product approval are under discussion with the U.S. FDA. Finally, I want to acknowledge the team at Series Therapeutics who brought this drug to fruition and especially to the many investigators and patients who participated in this trial. We are indebted to all of you for making EcoSport 3 possible. Thank you so much. We hope you are enjoying listening to the keynote speakers of the 8th Annual International Virtual C. diff Conference and Health Expo, sponsored by Summit Therapeutics. Learn more about how Summit Therapeutics is advancing innovative therapies. Visit the Summit Therapeutics website at summitplc.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? washed your hands. Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Do you know the symptoms of COVID-19? They may appear 2 to 14 days after exposure to the virus. Symptoms may include fever, chills, muscle pain, headache, sore throat, new loss of taste or smell, vomiting or diarrhea. This can be in any combination. Any difficulty in breathing or shortness of breath, please visit your local hospital immediately. For additional up-to-date COVID-19 information, please visit the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention website at cdc.gov. If you missed the live broadcast of C. diff spores and more, we invite you to listen at your leisure. In addition to the on-demand show on Voice America Health and Wellness, find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Take us with you worldwide. Next, I'd like to introduce Glenn Tillerson. His 30-plus years of pharmaceutical experience in early preclinical and clinical research, commercialization, medical affairs, scientific communications, has just been uh, an incredible active person and very fun to know him through the years. So, Glenn, take it away. Talk about One Health. Thanks a lot, Stu. Much appreciated. First of all, I'd like to thank uh, Nancy and the team at the CDF Foundation for the opportunity to speak today. Uh, what I'd like to talk about, and I've I christened it with the whole respect to Walt Disney, it's a small world with CDF, with particular focus on what's called the One Health Initiative. Um, the One Health Initiative, it's a, it's a collaborative effort, multiple disciplines working locally, nationally, and globally to try and obtain the optimal health for 
both people and animals and actually the environment. And I'll touch on that as I go through the presentation. And it's a, an initiative that's been running for about 10 years now that I think I'm aware of. So um, let me try and tie all these different circles together to show you that C. diff is, is pretty much everywhere. Let's focus for a few moments on community-associated CD. If you heard it from uh, earlier speakers that uh, community-acquired or community-associated CD has uh, taken something of, a, of an emergence over the last few years, and it's defined the symptoms onset of CD in the community with no history of hospitalisation or exposure to healthcare facilities in the prior three months, and or with symptom onset within two days of hospital admission. Now initially, I'm old enough and I'm sure Stu's old enough to both remember that community-associated C. diff was, was comparatively rare. But data from Gu et al. In the, uh, from the CDC and colleagues showed in fact that that has changed. And in fact, community-associated C. diff uh, is, occurs in about one in three patients in Australia, but less frequently in, uh, in, in Europe. Notably, or at least I've been led to believe, that these, uh, these particular strains don't have the normal risk factors and often occur in younger people and often in females. This is the data from Gu et al. And what I'm going to try to do, no, it's not worked, but nevertheless, um, you'll see from 2011 the number of cases of community-associated CDI was just over 5,000. The same year, there were 10,000 of healthcare-associated. When you drop to the bottom at 2017, you'll see that there were 7,539 community-associated and 7,973, pretty much equal parts of community-associated and healthcare-associated. So the emergence has been quite significant in a relatively short period of time. I'd like to touch very briefly on colonization resistance because this does come to tell the whole, you know, underlies some of the story. The GI tract of humans and non-humans preferred habitat C. diff, and I stress the word preferred habitat. It's postulated that C. difficile colonizes the GI tract of many neonatal animals. Some more of that in a moment. And as aging occurs, so does the switch to adult food, which causes a shift in the microbiome, which provides protection against C. diff. And as been mentioned by previous speakers, uh, use or ingestion of antibiotics can lead to a change in the environment, enabling C. diff to proliferate. Since the 1950s, antibiotics have been applied, and I use that term loosely, applied in animals, um, not always correctly, uh, and these antibiotics have been used as growth, uh, growth promotants. And these antibiotics can include cephalosporins, fluoroquinolones, and other antimicrobial classes. And as we've heard, both the fluoroquinolones and cephalosporins are particularly good for selecting C. diff. Where would you find C. diff? Well, it's been found in a range of sources, food animals. As you can see there, pigs, cattle, sheep, poultry, all of which are exposed, with the exception perhaps of sheep, pigs and cattle and poultry are exposed to antibiotics in their lifetime. Therefore, you're not surprised to see that meat products, those sort of products that come from your local supermarket onto your table, but they also have been shown to carry or be contaminated with C. diff. Vegetables, that, I'll show you the, uh, the causality of that in a few moments. And then you're not surprised, I'm sure, to see that household environment and the natural environment are also contaminated with C. diff spores.
piglets. I always like to kind of lighten these sorts of presentations, but to show you that a range of countries across the bottom of the presentation, uh, the x-axis, Spain, Japan, Netherlands, and all the way across, including several states, studies from the USA, you can see the proportion of piglets that have C. diff in their feces ranges from basically 20% to 100%. So uh, next time you think of piglet, think of C. diff. If you want to look at other sources, vegetables not quite so much. Um, anything between 5 and 30% of vegetables can be contaminated with C. diff. But in the natural environment, rivers, streams, lakes, you can see quite a bit of variability. Um, some places seem to be worse than others. Uh, Australia has between 30 and 60%. The UK, and Mark and I will uh, both attest to uh, how grimy the UK can be, from 20 to, to nearly 90%. So the natural environment is clearly contributing to the source of the, the C. diff that we come across. In the household, there again, we're talking about anything from the soles of shoes through to toilets and bathrooms and so forth. And I think we're all familiar with how the household setting can therefore contribute to the uh, hospital contamination. So the sources, we've seen that neonatal animals have uh, an invariably high 20% going up to 70% contamination rate with C. diff. In the US there was a study looking at retail meats and I touched on those. Almost half of retail meats in the US were C. diff positive. The European rates tend to be lower and going to Mark's, oh, sorry, Professor Wilcox's data on genetics, studies have shown that the lineages of ST11 and RT14 have been shown with a range of animal and human studies, so the linkage is clearly there. So what do the One Health come to? If you remember the illustration right at the start of the presentation, C. diff is a global issue. There's the human health issue an animal issue and an environmental issue. So as I've shown you that the uh, that the just trying to see yeah, shown you that the animals are carriers, the environment can be carriers and so forth. So it's quite a significant contamination. I'd like to show you now a diagram from Tom Riley, uh, an Australian researcher in this, this field. And you can see here humans, environment and animals, how they all come together. And you know, some of the pathways are probably a little bit surprising, but when you think about it, they come to they, 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 they come to light. For example, if you look at the animals in the bottom left and they go around to the environment, you can see that animal manure is composted for agricultural use, and that's where the vegetables become exposed to to seeded spores. You look at the top of the diagram, humans, clearly there's human-to-human -human transmission in the community, but human-to-human -human transmission in the hospital, and that's probably the area that we're most familiar with. And as you look at this diagram, you can see there is an interplay, an intimate interplay between C. diff contamination in the environment, animals, and humans that comes to clearly demonstrate the One Health perspective. Is there definitive evidence? Of, of foodborne and environmental spread to humans? Well, I think it, the, not all individuals exposed to C. diff will develop symptoms, and that's where we talk about the, the, the value of uh, one's microbiota. I think I've shown that there is definitive evidence of the ubiquitous nature of C. diff, 
and in fact the spores can remain dormant in a wide range of conditions and will re-emerge when the conditions are suitable. Microbial genomics has shed light on the mutual seed of sharing between humans and animals and it's clear that there is a zoonotic role here and I think that's what is particularly concerning. And how does seedive spread between food animals and humans? Well, food processing contamination is clearly one of the, uh, the, the possible pathways and I think that's um, particularly worrying when you consider that you know, the contamination occurs in the slaughterhouse but survive, the spores can survive most conditions including actually meat cooking, sorry, for 70, over 70 degrees Celsius for two hours. So you know, the spores are there and they can survive what, most of the processes that we can hit them with. See, the spores can spread in the air, hospitals, and animal production facilities. And that by virtue of being in animal production, the seedive spores can also survive in sewage treatment. So with the sewage treatment and the animal production water flow, these can be released into the rivers and then ultimately impact seafood. So again, this cycle of life continues with the seed air. And an interesting study that came from the Netherlands that they showed there was a direct transfer of C. difficile between piglets and pig farmers and the pig farmers developed C. diff disease. So where is C. difficile? In the hospital settings it's, we, we eliminate C. diff or at least try to as uh, Dr. de Berke showed earlier on through disinfection processes and we try to minimize the level of spores that we can't necessarily do elsewhere. The hand washing and deep cleaning methods are also now being applied in veterinary offices. Um, I haven't touched on the, the topic of pet animals as uh, possible sources, but there are uh, studies recently and examples of uh, cats and dogs actually having C. diff or contamination in their feces. So the vet office is another potential source. Now, I mentioned already the hurdle of complexity of modern food processing and the use of uh, antimicrobials and really we, we need to think more about how antimicrobials are used in food animals. It is controversial because as uh, we we've all probably know, um, the food growth promotants make for less expensive meats and that drives the need for these drugs to be used in the complex setting of the food production. Is there a solution? Well, we can all be uh, very erudite in our cleansing, but when you realize that there is such a, a wide array of potential sources, then I think uh, we need to think back to the environmental contamination and perhaps the use of vaccines could be one key tenant of the health, health initiative. However, this is proving a challenge. Sanofi had run a very sizable phase three program, but had to close their program approximately two years ago, I believe. But Pfizer and GSK are both looking at novel recombinant uh, vaccines and the early results appear to be quite encouraging. But I can hear you asking, how are we going to vaccinate food animals? And in fact, we already do vaccinate against Clostridium perfringens. I've said gangrene here, not necessarily for the food animals, but just to give you uh, an observation that C. perfringens is a widespread uh, organism and that you, the, you can vaccinate food animals to uh, perhaps mitigate the, the instance of, of C. diff. So what I'd like to suggest is that 
one health-focused surveillance of human and animal stroke environmental sources gives us a, a better understanding of this complex epidemiology. And that really, it's going to take a, a one-world, one-health approach of clinicians, veterinarians, industry, by that I mean farmer industry, policymakers, and a, a, a plethora of researchers that would help us fulfill the one health mantra and that we try to improve health across the world and globally. Thank you for your time. We hope you are enjoying listening to the keynote speakers of the 8th Annual International Virtual C. diff Conference and Health Expo, sponsored by Summit Therapeutics. Learn more about how Summit Therapeutics is advancing innovative therapies. Visit the Summit Therapeutics website at summitplc.com. Do you know the symptoms of COVID-19? They may appear 2 to 14 days after exposure to the virus. Symptoms may include fever, chills, muscle pain, headache, sore throat, new loss of taste or smell, vomiting or diarrhea. This can be in any combination. Any difficulty in breathing or shortness of breath, please visit your local hospital immediately. For additional up-to-date COVID-19 information, please visit the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention website at cdc.gov. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on handwashing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. If you missed the live broadcast of CDIF Spores and more, we invite you to listen at your leisure. In addition to the on-demand show on Voice America Health and Wellness, find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Take us with you worldwide. And at this time, I'd like to introduce a fellow C. diff survivor, Dale Skelly. Good morning, everyone. I would like to start off by thanking Nancy and the C. diff Foundation for allowing me this honor to share my story. I first learned about C. diff when my grandmother acquired the infection in October 2005 when I was 29 years old. My grandmother had been in the hospital for emphysema and once released, began feeling sick. She went to her doctors, and a multitude of tests were ran. She was diagnosed with C. diff. My mother took it upon herself to care for her, not knowing much about the infection, but wanting to be there for her mother and do what she could. My grandmother was living at home and had one bathroom that my mother had shared, again, not knowing much about the infection. This was at the beginning of that month. By the end of that month, we lost my grandmother due to several health issues, including C. diff. She was 82 years old. About a week before my grandmother passed, my mother started not to feel well. She thought she had the flu. My sister and I came for a visit to find that she couldn't get out of bed. We took her to the hospital 
where she tested positive for C. diff and was admitted. At the time, my sister and I were living in Pennsylvania, just outside of Philly, while my parents lived in North Jersey, just outside of New York City. We both planned on staying in New Jersey for the week. We held off having my grandmother's funeral for over a week as we had hoped my mother would be able to attend. Unfortunately, the hospital would not release her and she was not able to attend. At the funeral, I began feeling sick and had to leave early. That night, I was experiencing the same symptoms my mother did and my father took me to the hospital. I tested positive for C. diff and was admitted immediately. I was given my own private room and anyone that walked in had to wear gloves and a gown to help limit the spread of the infection. At the same time, my mother's health was declining and she was placed in ICU. I was administered vancomycin and flagyl intravenously. It took a full week before I felt like myself again. The nurses would take me up to visit my mother, but being we both had the infection and she was in ICU, I had to wear a gown and gloves. My father spent countless hours visiting myself and my mother. My sister came up on weekends, but unfortunately, friends and family members were discouraged from visiting as this infection is very contagious. After a week in the hospital, I was released, but had to continue taking vancomycin and flagyl in pill form. I had lost between 15 and 20 pounds and was ready to go home and get back to my normal routine. Unfortunately, that wouldn't happen as quickly as I thought. When I got home, I took my first dose of pills. Within 10 minutes, I couldn't breathe or swallow. I was rushed back to the hospital where I was placed on an IV and administered steroids and a nebulizer. It seemed that I was having a negative reaction to the pill form of those drugs. I was in the hospital for a couple of hours, stabilized and sent home. This time I was giving Zyfaxan to assist with the symptoms of C. diff. During the next week, I rested and slowly returned to my normal activities. While all of this was happening, my mother's health continued to decline even more. My sister and I made multiple trips up to see our mother, oftentimes missing work or leaving early in order to see her before visiting hours ended. She was placed on a ventilator and the doctors didn't think she would ever come off of it. They were right. We lost my mother on December 23rd, 2005, less than eight weeks after she was originally diagnosed. She was only 55 years old. It was an extremely tough time for my family and I. We couldn't believe this was our reality. My sister was getting married in May. We had postponed her bridal shower several times in the hopes that my mother would be able to attend. She had also played such an integral part in planning the wedding. Unfortunately, she was never able to make it. In January 2006, I tested positive for C. diff again. 
My doctors were afraid to put me back on vancomycin and flagell, so I started taking Zyfaxin again to treat the symptoms. I was advised if I was to go back on flagell or vancomycin, I would need to be admitted to the hospital and hooked up to heart monitors as they were unsure which one I had the reaction to. Luckily, this time around, they caught it early and I was able to continue my treatment at home. It took about two weeks until I physically felt like myself again. Anytime I went out and had to use a public restroom, I was nervous. I felt like I never wanted to leave my house for the fear of contracting the infection again. And knowing if I went back on Zyfaxan and it didn't work, I would have to be admitted to the hospital. As months passed, my fear subsided. Not to say my vigilance and caution were less, but the overall fear I felt when using a public restroom slowly faded. Was I eating right, cleaning the house properly, and avoiding people in places that may cause me to relapse? Even to this day, I am cautious about taking too many antibiotics for the fear I may kill off the good bacteria. I take probiotics daily to help ensure I have plenty of those good bacteria. My family and I are coming up on 15 years that this infection has affected our lives. For years, I would look to see if there were any organizations specializing in this infection or find a way I can be involved. Four years ago, while Googling the infection, I found the C. diff foundation. Without hesitation, I reached out, briefly telling my story and heard back right away. I knew this was something I had to be a part of for myself, my mother, my family. I have told my story to friends, co-workers, acquaintances, and basically anyone that would listen. Spreading the word about such a horrid infection would only benefit others. Over the years, friends have come to me knowing someone that has had the infection as a resource for information, asking about what they should and shouldn't do. I'm happy to help and share my knowledge and refer them to the C. diff organization's website for further guidance. I am so thankful this foundation has been formed. I feel being a part of this, I am making a difference in so many people's lives. I appreciate everything that all of you are doing to help end this disease and prevent anyone else from having to go through the pain and anguish that I have. Thank you all for all you do, and thank you for allowing me to be a part of this and share my story. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We wish to acknowledge the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health through research and developing new products to address C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, clinical trials, protecting the gut microbiome, diagnostics, and environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about clinical trials focused on C. diff infections and recurrent C. diff infections, prevention and treatments, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, www.cdifffoundation.org. Clinical Trials in Progress. 
Help them to help you to help others. We send out our well wishes to all patients being treated for and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, that's 1 p.m. Eastern Time, for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.